to season four, episode eight of Grace or Grit. This is a podcast intended to address difficult, controversial, and debatable issues related to the Bible and the church. I'm your host, Dave Talley. I serve as pastor at Grace Baptist Church in Herlock, Maryland. And joining me for the podcast today from the continent of Africa in the Gambia is my co-host, Patrick Reed. Patrick, how things been going for you over the past month? Uh, good afternoon. Things are going well. We are enjoying the rainy season as best we can here and just uh, trying to get around. The uh, Things are a bit difficult. There's a lot of construction going on here on the roads and things are not exactly done the same way as they are in other parts of the world. So sometimes um you know trying to avoid falling in huge holes and ditches and getting stuck in uh, massive puddles can be a challenge so just the other day um i was going into town and the areas where they had dug up to to bury some things under the road they just filled with dirt and they completely washed out and there were Literally, the whole front end of cars were had actually fallen into them, and uh, so it was quite an experience getting to where I was going that day. But it's always fun out here; get lots of unique challenges. So, <laughs> oh, I guess your dry wells, if that's what they're called, uh, sir, I'm sure listeners remember us talking about you needing those things. You've got them all installed, and they're functioning well, I guess. Yeah, they're working really well. No more flooding on the compound, so we are quite happy about that. Um, we've had some pretty big rains already, and they've worked real well. So we're excited not to have water coming, pouring in our front door. So Right. So <laughs> I don't know how all that works uh, exactly. I mean, I, I saw some of the diagrams and stuff, but uh, is that water, you know, lost lost for good? It just soaks into the groundwater, or is there? Are you able to use it later for some other purpose, or what? No, it goes into two, um, like twenty foot pits in the ground, right? And then it, uh, and then it absorbs into the ground. So it basically, gives it time to absorb into the ground instead of pooling on the surface. Right. Cool. Well, we're about halfway through the year. And uh, if this is episode eight, and I, I think my goal is 20, uh, we could make it, but we're uh, we're a little behind. We were supposed to do two podcast episodes a month, and uh, I got all kinds of excuses why we haven't done that, but uh, <laughs> we'll see what happens. I got camp coming up in August. Uh, we just finished vacation Bible school, so uh, lots of exciting things going on. And uh, do have I do have a long list of good ideas of uh, what we can be talking about various difficult, controversial, and debatable issues. So there's no so no shortage of uh, things to talk about. We haven't had a guest on here in a long time. I guess I need to get my act together and see if we can uh, get a third voice for some variety in our show. But um, I've already obviously sent you the questions and the title for today. So let me share that with our listeners. The title of our podcast episode today is Church Discipline. 
and uh, I've gotten this title and topic from our mutual friend, former deacon at Grace Baptist Church. Uh, he sent these questions in. What does church discipline look like? When should it be used? And what are the consequences of using it too much or too little? So when I sent you those questions, I think you had already seen them you know, a while back in January when he first sent them in. But um, what started to rattle around in your head? Have you actually seen you know, any situations where it's church discipline, uh, as we traditionally think of it, uh, has occurred? And how did it work out? Well, there was a, a recent case here in the Gambia. Um, and it it's interesting how it was used here because they have, um, I don't know what you call it. You have a lot of churches that work together almost like a denomination in a way. Um, but there's also a lot of independence between the individual churches, but, uh, they actually disciplined a, a pastor in a church. It was a big problem. He had a, an affair with, um, one of the, another pastor's wife. And, um, so what they did was they, they removed him from the church he was in. Um, but, put him into another church uh, and the other church was the one that carried out the discipline for that church. Um, mm. So uh, interesting situation, but I just thought that was kind of unique. Whereas uh, many of our Baptist churches don't always have, wouldn't have had an option quite to do that because they don't necessarily have cooperation with other churches. Uh, but based on that situation, I can see why they didn't want him in you know, the church that he was pastoring, obviously. So, right. Right. Yeah. My default mindset when it comes to church discipline is what I was, you know, reared hearing, uh, which is that church discipline is a local church matter to be handled within, you know, one particular body. But in practice, you know, there's certainly some, now that you mention it, there's some, uh, there's some situations that have certainly gone beyond that concept. Uh, there have been some famous pastors who have failed miserably morally, and it you know even made it into the news. And you could say they were canceled, not just by the popular culture, but by Christians at large. So I'm not saying it was done properly, but. Uh, there's there was definitely a uh, rebuke before all kind of uh, response that happened, and then also the sharing of church letters when you move from your membership from one church to another, which is something independent Baptist churches at least used to honor and uh, practice pretty extensively. Which it does have a biblical um, foundation. You know, Paul wrote letters commending and endorsing certain people when they went from one church to another to minister. So there's an idea of that, but you know, we, we could, I don't think we've ever done it, but we could certainly refuse to recommend a membership of someone to another church. If they were causing trouble, you know, in our church, or if they, um, you know, left without dealing with things that they needed to deal with. So there's, even though I, I hadn't thought about it previously, there are some situations where church discipline, even in our context, could go beyond 
the local church, even though we don't have a denomination. Mm. Yeah. And one of the things that comes up, I know we'll get into this a bit, but when, when you don't have that cooperation between churches, what happens often is, you know, someone is disciplined in a church and they usually, instead of being restored to repentance, often they just leave the church and then they just yep. go off to another church who never asked any questions. And so, yeah, it, it doesn't always function the way it's supposed to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I haven't always been, uh, perfect to that myself, but I have had many conversations over the years. Some I've initiated, some have been initiated by other pastors where a family has, uh, switched churches. And so then the two pastors informally and unofficially just, you know, had a conversation, Hey, these folks are, are coming to us. Uh, they haven't joined, but they're visiting our church. And they said they used to go to yours or they have been going to yours. Uh, is everything okay? You know? And, uh, so I've had quite a few opportunities to say to another pastor, you know, yeah, they're, they're good, godly people. Uh, I hurt them or, you know, somebody in our church hurt them or, uh, you know, they just, it seems like God's moving them for whatever reason. So, um, and there've been some times when I've given some mild warnings concerning certain people, not saying that they're you know, ungodly and rebellious, but that they, uh, they're bringing some baggage along with them. But, you know, I, I'm careful, try to be careful not to, you know, be gossiping about people because God can move people around, but that's an informal way that we have also gone beyond the local church lines in my experience. Mm-hmm. So if we're going to talk about church, church discipline, I think a good place to start, I'm trying to imagine the listener putting this in a context that is um, palatable and clear. And I know that there are some Christians that the idea of church discipline is just absolutely foreign and repulsive to them. They may have heard it preached on or taught on, but for some reason, because they haven't seen it practiced or they haven't realized that they've seen it practiced, uh, there's kind of a, my life is none of your business mentality and in some circumstances with some Christians. Um, So I think it's important to start by pointing out that God, since the fall has instituted more than one, you could say organism or organization among those of us who are human to basically reward good and restrict evil in society. And the first one was obviously family. And there are many places in the Bible that, show that a father and a mother have authority over the children. They're supposed to discipline those children. They're responsible for rearing them up to be, you know, upstanding citizens and, and, and godly people. And even beyond that, obviously as Christians, we're responsible to train up our, our children the way they should go, which is in the fear of the Lord and uh, to teach them about Christ and so on and so forth. But the family is God's idea. And then government which was, I believe, established after the flood when God gave humanity the right of um, capital punishment to take the life of someone who has committed a capital crime. And there's all kinds of powers that extend forth from that. If, if If a governor of some sort has the right to take someone's life, then they certainly have certain lesser rights that lead in that direction. 
but then 4,000 years into human history, we have the institution of the church. And each of these three institutions, you know, they have their own jurisdiction. I'm not telling you anything you don't know, Patrick, but speaking to our listeners, each one of these three institutions, family, government, church, they have their own jurisdiction and their own place of rightful responsibility to exercise authority over those who are under them by judging things that are not right and by demanding or requiring submission, or at least in the family's case, uh, if it's a husband leading a wife, being worth following, uh, even though the wife is commanded to submit and the man is not commanded to force her to submit, um, he certainly should, a man should certainly be the kind of man that is um, worth submitting to. Um, but anyway, each one of these institutions, they, they're they different. They use different tools to exert pressure on those who are under them, uh, under the umbrella of their God-given power. The, the government bears the sword, you know, the, the church doesn't. Uh, we do, but it's a spiritual sword, <laughs> the Bible. But the government bears the actual sword, according to Romans chapter 13, and they have the power to take life. The father in a family doesn't bear the sword. Uh, I mean, he can in defense of his family, but he doesn't go around chopping his kids' heads off or shouldn't in, in discipline. Uh, but he does, you know, use the rod, according to the scriptures, in order to discipline his children. So, and the church, it doesn't seem to me, the church doesn't have authority to use either the rod or the um, the actual sword. There are different tools, and that's what we're going to talk about today. So is there anything you would add to that? Is, is Do you feel like that's a relevant um, piece of the puzzle for us to put out there before we get into the specific tools of church discipline? Yeah, I think so, because that's true. A lot of people, I don't think even have thought about this topic very often as it relates to the church. And so just understanding the the difference between the roles of those three, I think is important. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, we as Christians in our culture here in America anyway, and, and maybe so in Africa, I don't know. Um, church is often viewed as, you know, like a Walmart and, the people who walk through the doors are like customers. And so they come in, get what they like, get what they don't leave, let they don't like. And, and, you know, if they don't like something, they just walk out and that's the end of that. And there's no more, there's no commitment. There's no connection. There's no requirement. And that's not the way the Bible lays out, lays out the church. Um, when, when someone comes to Christ, you know, you've, you've joined a spiritual family with a head and that head is Christ. And we are to submit to Christ. And so, you know, God uses the body, the family, the members of that church, the leadership of the church, the Holy Spirit, the scriptures, uh, uses all kinds of tools to promote holiness in the life of every believer. So it's it's not like you're just walking into a restaurant and you get your own way. And if you don't like it, you don't tip. You know, that's not, it's not the way the church is supposed to be designed. So. Well, let's jump in here and uh, we can just kind of alternate back and forth if you don't mind. Is that a system that's okay with you? I've got a, a, a list of, I think, eight, yeah, eight different uh, specific tools that the church uh, uses in its uh, attempt to judge itself or to uh, properly administer self-discipline. Uh, 
among the members. Is that you okay with attempting it that way? Yeah, that's good. Okay. So number one for our listeners, if you, if you're taking notes, uh, these are worth writing down. I think, uh, number one, we have instruction concerning righteousness and the demands of the gospel. So there's a verse that probably most of our listeners are familiar with second Timothy chapter three, verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So two of those three things are absolutely positive. It's not responsive. It's not negative. It's not, you know, retribution because something has gone wrong. The Bible was breathed by God and it is the place we go to get our doctrine, the teaching concerning God and what God wants us to do and so on and so forth. And the instruction, the moral instruction that every believer needs. So that's a form of discipline. And uh, we don't think of that as discipline, but it absolutely is. If you're going to join a gym and you're going to have a trainer, you may have done nothing wrong, but he's not just going to watch you and say nothing and wait for you to do something wrong and then step in and, and correct you. I mean, I guess he could, but that's not usually the way a trainer would, would function. He would lay out a plan of action from the beginning. And so this is part of, of church discipline. Every time we gather as the children of God to hear the preaching of the word of God, it is positive discipline. We're becoming disciples by submitting to this um, body of truth, this, this body of doctrine, the faith, which has been, live, been delivered to the saints. So that's where discipline starts. It starts with clear ground rules and hopefully a clear description of our absolute dependence upon the Holy Spirit uh, and the demands of the faith life in light of the gospel. Uh, that's where discipline begins. And if we cooperate, then the negative responsive discipline is not necessary. So is that something you agree with, that that's part of the discipline uh, outline? Well, yeah, it's not just part of it. It's also kind of sets the the boundaries of where church discipline falls. So, you know, if it's outside of scripture or if it's an area that falls into Christian liberty, it's not an area that the church should be dealing with also. Oh. Mm -hmm. um, so it kind of sets some, some boundaries where church discipline starts and ends. So you, you don't have, you shouldn't have, you know, a church disciplining a member in an area that's not even talked about in scripture or yeah. it's, you know, a, a wide open area. It shouldn't be something that, um, but that happens, unfortunately. Oh, yes. Um, all too often. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. That's, that's absolutely the case, especially some churches that uh, are, are personality driven, where the pastor is a, is a very dominant personality and it's his way or the highway on all things. And especially if he's got a legalistic theology then yeah, man, you could get excommunicated or, or, or shamed out of the church, uh, browbeaten, humiliated, um, abused just because, you know, you're not wearing what he wants you to wear, or you're not marrying who he wants you to marry, or, uh, there's all kinds of things that are not within the purview of, of the sacred desk, as they used to say, the, the <laughs> role that the pastor is supposed to hold according to Hebrews chapter 13. So yeah, good point. 
there are things that are outside of the jurisdiction of the church. Uh, so number two, we have willing and humble submit each saint to the local body of Christ. And uh, you can look to Ephesians 5.21 for that, where it talks about submitting yourselves to one another in the fear of God. So uh, in order for discipline to work uh, and the whole system to work in the church, everyone has to be you know, willingly and humbly submitting themselves to one another. Um, so this is um, uh, really an important just uh, trait that all Christians should have. Uh, in the church and something that probably one of the most difficult ones to do at least yeah. in my experience so <laughs> yeah i think it was solomon who said something along along these lines uh, a word of rebuke enters into a wise man more than a hundred stripes on the back of a fool because the wise man is willing to submit so this is also positive if if i am uh, humble and eager in my willingness to listen to you and to assume that God can use you to speak into my life, then that's going to set a tone of cooperation and progress in the church, which is essential. So it's really the other side of the coin when we're looking back at number one, instruction concerning righteousness and the demands of the gospel as that instruction is given if the listener is willing and uh, willingly humble, willingly submissive and humbly submissive, I guess is what I'm trying to say, to not just the, the pastor, but to all the saints and assuming that God's going to speak into their life, then that's the other side of that coin that makes, um, makes the atmosphere pleasant and makes progress possible. Well, and it makes it where the, the, we're going to get into coming up the negative aspects of the discipline aren't even necessary Amen. Right? because if if someone willingly you know if you if you sin against a brother and they that brother comes to you and says hey you did this and this really upset me and they go oh i'm so sorry and they repent of this and and the other brother forgives them then it's done that's you know? right it's over there's there's no other need for anything to go any further it doesn't you know don't have to go to any steps it doesn't have to be made public none of that needs to happen <laughs> yep. that's good i told a, a lady just this morning because uh, i've given her some particular responsibilities and when you give someone responsibilities they should have the you know the resources and the authority and and the finances and everything else to to carry out the responsibility given to her given to them and i said listen I know myself, I have a habit. If there's a vacuum, I have a habit of just stepping in and providing an idea or a solution, but don't let me do that because uh, I want you to, to run this. I want you to be in charge of it. And so if you need to tell me, Hey, you know, I got it. Just, just listen, just sit quietly and listen, please do that. Please tell me I will not be offended. I will happily surrender it to you, but I know my, my own, uh, my own propensities. Um, so, and hopefully I have enough character to live up to that, uh, you know, offering that I gave to her, but yeah, not just submitting, but letting people know, I want your input. I want your critique of what's going on. I want instruction. If the, if the, if the things that are going on in my life are not helpful, if they're, um, not, 
frankly, spirit-filled and it's obvious, then don't just pass over it and ignore it. Speak into my life. And if we have that attitude, it's going to, you're right, it's going to make a lot of these other things unnecessary. So number three, uh, expectations of doctrinal fidelity in order to be included in the fellowship. So what we're talking about here is membership. If someone said, I want to join your church, but I don't believe Jesus is the son of God, then uh, we would have to go back through the gospel with them and see if we can get them to come to faith in Christ. Uh, you cannot join the church without um, agreeing with some, at least some basic uh, fundamental cardinal Christian doctrines. So that also is a form of discipline because it's putting up boundaries and borders that keep certain people out. So you're not going to have to excommunicate them because you, you don't even let them in. You know, um, Acts chapter two is the passage that came to my mind when I was thinking about this. Um, chapter chapter two, verse forty one and forty two. Luke wrote, "Then they that gladly received his word were baptized." And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. So they had to, one, receive the word, and two, continue in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. So, And that gets into what happens to a member if it's discovered that they are uh, deviating from sound doctrine, but they don't even become a member unless they uh, admit their uh, agreement to certain doctrinal truths that are related to the gospel itself. Yeah, I think um, that one's really critical and why membership is so important because without a community, um, the way church discipline even works, um, you, you can't have it, right? Without having, in other words, Paul says, you know, I'm not to, judge the unbeliever or the people outside, right? If there's someone outside of the church, you wouldn't like try to bring them to the church and say, Hey, this person did this to me. Let's, let's deal with this. Well, no, that wouldn't even make sense. They're not part of the group. Right. Right. <laughs> so, so you got to have a group. Uh, if you don't have the group, if you don't have uh, people who willingly come together, then you don't have any way to deal with issues within the church. So, yeah. Yeah. I've, I've attempted in the past to include people in my life and treat them as family when they were not family. And looking back, I realized that was mostly pretend <laughs> because the moment that, that they didn't like what was going on, they just walked away and I had no say, I had no leg to stand on, you know, but if it's my wife, it's my son, my daughter, my granddaughter, then there's all kinds of connections and responsibilities that give me the right and the responsibility to force the issue and to demand that, you know, we, that we work things out. So that's true in the, in the, in the church as well. You're right. There has to be a clear defined line of who's part of this community and an understanding of, uh, you know, what the expectations are. So a church is a group of baptized believers, followers of Christ. Okay. So number four, Correction and rebuke for those who err in doctrine and in moral purity. And we can look at you know Leviticus nineteen seventeen where it says, uh, "You shall not hate your brother in your heart. You must always rebuke your neighbor." And I'm sorry, you must always rebuke your neighbor and not suffer sin upon him. 
or uh, Luke 17, 3, take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. Also, Titus 1, 13, this witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. And also, Titus 2, 15, these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. So, we we have to correct uh, particularly correct issues when you know people maybe they join they originally agree uh, to the doctrine but then there are issues later on um, now obviously we're not we may not be rebuking people in uh, you know doctrines that are very very minor or there are disagreements within the church I think for me I would say if there's an issue where someone uh, is stating a belief, particularly publicly stating a belief that is contrary to orthodoxy or what the church has generally agreed upon for the past 2000 years, that would be when you start to deal with the issues. So, you know, if someone said, well, Jesus isn't God or, you know, uh, some heir in the Trinity, like said, you know, or like Jesus was created by the Father or something like that, something that's a major doctrinal issue, um, that's when I think you would need, someone would need to step in and, and make a rebuke of that. Yeah, absolutely. And two of the verses you shared have to do with moral purity, and two of them have to do with doctrinal purity. So for our listeners, we're talking about not only what we believe, but how we behave. And so this is part of discipline, simply rebuking someone, as Patrick said, if it's a primary doctrine, if it's secondary or tertiary, which we've talked about on other podcasts, then it doesn't mean you can't have a conversation, but letting it rise to the area of rebuke is not appropriate. So we had a a teacher one time who believed uh, basically in some kind of post-millennial return of Christ. And some of our listeners may not agree with this, but I actually told him, I said, I don't mind you teaching that. I would ask, I want, I want you to tell them, by the way, pastor doesn't agree with this. So if you want to hear the other angle, go talk to him. Um, and that's, you know, it's fairly extreme because that's a, a pretty important issue, but it doesn't, it doesn't detract from the gospel. It doesn't detract from the identity of Christ. Um, and so, you know, I, I considered that to be not a primary issue. Uh, so I, I did not rebuke him. We had a conversation. Uh, he humbly asked me what I wanted him to do, frankly. Um, but, it, you know, if if I found him kissing someone else's wife, well, that's going to, you know, that's going to be rebuke because um, that's a that's a matter of moral purity. Or as you said, if he denies the virgin birth, that's going to be a rebuke. So both beliefs and behaviors. Right. And I don't like it, Patrick. I, just, I don't want to rebuke <laughs> anybody. You know, I don't mind you rebuking them. I just don't want to do it. And I don't want to be there when you do it. But it doesn't matter what my preference are. That's what the scripture demands. Yeah, it's it's not pleasant. Um, I had to rebuke someone recently here um, who had a serious error in doctrine um, that was put out publicly. And it's just never a fun conversation. Yeah. You know, <laughs> I, I will add this 
at least start with a question if you're in this situation rather than coming in with guns blazing. Um, it's it's wise and safe if I say, Patrick, I read in your I'm just putting out a hypothetical hypothetical situation here. Patrick, I read in your missionary report that um, it said something about, you know, the, the Holy Spirit being a force from God. Is that what you meant to say? <laughs> you know, so if right. I ask that question, that gives you a chance because it could be a misunderstanding. It could be an, an error just in how something was communicated. Um, and even if it's not, that at least lays some groundwork for some openness rather than you're a heretic. You know, hey, Patrick, <laughs> you're a heretic, you know. Uh, so, yeah, so being um i guess the word would be um diplomatic even in dealing with enemies is a biblical concept all right well number 5 public shame and resistance for leaders who sin uh 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 19 the bible says against an elder do not receive an accusation except before two or three witnesses and those who do sin rebuke before all that others may fear which Paul did that to Peter when he had some uh, racist actions in his uh, in the situation where they they shared some some of the same territory. So public shame and resistance for leaders who sin. I assume that's specifically referring to pastors, but it, it seems as a as the principle of an elder, if there's anybody who's viewed by the church as this is a leader in our church, then the demands are a little bit more uh, stringent. It's a little bit harsher because to whom much is given, much is required. So it doesn't necessarily mean that the the leader is no longer a leader, but they Peter was still an apostle and he was still a you know a leader in the church, but um, he had to be rebuked publicly and obviously he had to change. Yeah, and I think, yeah, it's, I think it's for leaders in general. And also you can see there are some requirements where uh, it's not just a single person who's um, making accusations. So if it's going to be done publicly for a leader, you need at least two or three people. Um, so that gives the leader a little bit of protection. So not just anybody who's, you know, upset with, you know, the pastor, whoever just should go out and publicly shame him. Right. But um, there should be at least two or three people. Um, but if it's a serious matter, then, then obviously it should be dealt with publicly. Yeah, yeah, excellent. So before we go to number six, uh, I just want to point out the purpose of all of this discipline is to bring someone to repentance and uh, to allow for forgiveness. Um, it's not for like retribution. Yes. So I just want to be... <laughs> clear on the reason for it that we're not going out to discipline people because well they deserve it no that, yeah. that's not the point of all this so number yeah. six confrontation and ratcheting pressure on uh i'm gonna say unrepentant people yeah so matthew 18 verses 15 through 18 this is like really the key verse when it yes. comes to uh, discipline in the church says moreover if thy brother shall trespass against you go and tell him his fault between you and him alone if he shall hear you you have gained your brother but if he will not hear you then take one or two more 
that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he will neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But um, if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto you as a heathen man and publican. Verily I say unto you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So this obviously is like a sin against another person. That's from probably what we can see, something that's in private that has happened. And, um, you know, this should be dealt with privately at first. So if someone sins against you, you should confront them in a loving way, tell them what the issue was. Um, and hopefully it will end right there. They will uh, repent of their sin. You will forgive them and then it will be over. Um, but if it doesn't, then you take it to the next level, bring two or three people. So the idea is we're trying to keep it as uh, private as we possibly can. Um, but if they're not listening, the, it gets ramped up little by little as it becomes more and more public until the entire church um, steps in to deal with it. And then if they still won't listen at this point, then basically we have to do what um, Paul instructed. I think it was the Corinthian church to do where they uh, removed someone from the church completely um, and cast him out of the church uh, in the hopes that uh, he would be restored, which I think he was at a later time. But it was um, a major issue, a major sin that he had committed. Yeah, and I have been through this one, Patrick, and it's very sobering and very serious. Um, three different circumstances that I can think of. Um, one, there was restoration after a period of time, and there was a confession that was made, willing confession, and um, and everything worked out. Another one, the person just went headlong into sin, and there's never been any return or any repentance. And the other one is so strange to me because it was a it was a a situation that was adultery. All three situations were sexual sins and it was adultery, but the person was a faithful attender and not a member. Um, so that was a little bit unique. We still felt like we had a responsibility and obligation to deal with it because the, the church was associated with this person, even though they were not a member. And, um, but what happened was they just went to another church and actually went to several other churches. And so they're still very active in the Christian circles in our area, um, but married to another person now. And, you know, I don't know what to do with that in my mind. I'm like, well, they weren't a member. Maybe we were out of bounds for even attempting discipline, or maybe the people that when I, when I called on the people to pray for imprecatory prayers, or to pray imprecatory prayers, which is prayers of judgment, which we'll talk about from First Corinthians chapter five here in just a moment. Maybe nobody did. You know, uh, I know my prayers were probably uh, anemic at best um, when it came to praying for judgment. Um, so, but three different attempts and very three different, three very different results uh, in in our case here at Grace. So number seven is kind of a subheading of number six, I guess. Uh, expulsion from the fellowship and prayers of imprecation on impenitent professors. That is those who profess to be Christians. 
First Corinthians chapter five, verse one, Paul said it's reported commonly that there's fornication among you and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that has done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily as absent in body, but present in spirit have judged already as though I were present concerning him that has done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered together and my spirit with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such in one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of, in the, day of the Lord Jesus. And I'm skipping verse six of so verse seven. Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that you may be a new lump as you are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. So there does come a time when someone refuses to be adjusted, refuses to be rebuked, refuses to repent, that we have to, as you shared from Matthew chapter 18, verse 15 through 18, we have to treat someone as an unsaved individual. Um, and that, it not only removes them from membership, Patrick, but you know, it, it also takes them out of our jurisdiction, frankly. If we turn them over to God, uh, in this case, Paul said, turn them over to Satan, which is, uh, according to the book of Job, uh, and according to the life of David, a subheading of turning them over to God. Um, they're no longer part of the church. So you assume, you know, they're not saved. They need the gospel. It doesn't mean that you bar the door and don't let them in or call the police when they show up. At least I don't believe it means that. Um, but you're, you're just assuming they're not part of us. They're outside of our community. Any thoughts on that? Yeah. And I think this, um, you know, this particular case that Paul dealt with so severely was, I mean, if he's hearing about it, I mean, it says it's reported commonly. So in other words, this was like a matter of, the whole public knew about yeah. this issue in the church in Corinth, you know, he's hearing about it from who knows where. Um, and so there's a, uh, this is a big public issue and it was putting a stain on the church, you know, because yeah. this was, even the Gentiles would have thought this was an awful thing to be doing. Right. Yeah. I mean, even unbelievers outside of the church would have said, you don't do that. Um, so when you have something like that, it has to be dealt with, I think a lot more severely. Um, whereas I don't think, you know, if it's something lesser, if it's something more private, I don't think necessarily you would have to, to go all the way to that step. Um, you know, I think part of it depends on the severity of it and how public it is and, you know, how much it's damaging the reputation of the church in Christ. Um, yeah. uh, get, it plays at least a part into it. Um, but again, you can see the purpose was for this person to be restored. Um, yeah. which I do believe this person did get restored. If yes. I recall. Second yeah. In Corinthians. second Corinthians. Yeah. Yeah. And then the church didn't know what to do with him. <laughs> right. <laughs> and Paul was like, y'all need to fellowship with this guy. He's going to be in a, a worse case. Now he's eaten up with sorrow and loneliness. So if you believe he's forgiven, then receive him. Right. Yeah. After repentance. So I'm glad you said that uh, because the, the principle of considering who's actually affected by this vice, whatever the sin is, or or error, uh, and if possible, keeping it within that circle, that's a wise principle. Um, 
Now, it may include telling people that didn't know, but they are affected, especially, for example, if, uh, and this is something a bunch of churches have gotten in trouble for, if it's uh, child molestation, for example. Well, the government may not know, but they need to know, right? So, right. you know, we're, we're going to deal with that. That's fine. They need to be expelled from the church and so forth. I don't have a problem with that process. We need to consider, you know, whatever spiritual responsibilities we have to the person, but we have legal responsibilities and the government's supposed to do what they're supposed to do for this, for this criminal too. So, uh, and I've been there where I've had to call the police and say, you know, this person came to my office and said such and such, and I know that's y'all's jurisdiction and turned it over to the, to the authorities. So that's an ugly situation, but we have no choice. So God gave the, the government the power to deal with that, not us. Right. If it's a crime, it's a crime. And yeah, we're to submit to the authorities. And so yeah. can't do that if they don't know. So. Yeah. And, you know, I could say, uh, Patrick, um, I'm, I'm giving you six hours to turn yourself in. And after that, I'm turning you in. So there you go. <laughs> right. You know, I'm sorry to do that, but you've broken the law. So. Right. All right. Okay. And the uh, last one, as we've talked about a bit already, is restoration for any and all who repent and return in humility. Galatians 6, 1 through 3. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, uh, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Or if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. So again, this is the whole purpose of church discipline. And actually, I was reading um, uh, Wayne Grudem's Systematic Theology, and he didn't write a lot about church discipline, but he actually put it under the category of means of grace for the church. Mm which seems like an odd place to put it, but he says, this is one of God's means of grace, right? Mm -hmm. Because God is graciously bestowing on us a system to help us keep us out of sin, mm -hmm. right? Um, that's the whole purpose of this. The purpose is not for retribution, it's for restoration. Yeah. And, um, you know, if we, if we don't do it, then we're not loving people. But if we're doing it harshly or abusing it, then... We're also not loving people as well. So it's important that we do it the way uh, scripture teaches us to do it. Yeah, good good stuff there. I'm thinking of Ecclesiastes where Solomon said, woe to a man who is alone when he falls. He doesn't have anybody to help him up. Um, so yeah, when you have somebody who's not only got your back, but um, they're willing to confront you, then that is, yeah, that's a grace that helps us succeed and uh, to live a holy life and positive peer pressures, you know, a great, a great thing. I think also, as you were reading there, I think of the story of Jesus and Peter, where Jesus said, uh, Peter, you're going to deny me. Um, I have prayed for you that your faith does not fail in this fall. And when you have uh, been converted, strengthen the brethren. So that's even some kind of strange, you know, precondition that Jesus lays out where he's uh, working on Peter's restoration before Peter's even committed the crime. So, <laughs> yeah, that really intensifies 
the realization of uh, of just exactly what this, how this functions for the glory of God and for the good of each individual uh, in the church. I mean, sin is destructive. It it kills. It destroys. So uh, if if I've got a whole team of doctors who are working on me to to help me not have the disease anymore, that's to my benefit, even if sometimes it's painful and demanding. And so if we think of the church as, as a hospital, you know, for sinners who, who uh, need to be saved or from, or for sinners who are now saints, but still struggle, which we all do, then, yeah, I mean, you go in and, and the, the prescription get it gets adjusted and some new procedures have to be uh, taken into consideration and executed. And, and that's the way the church works and we are better for it. So that's good. That's something I hadn't really thought of as well. Way to go, Wayne Grudem. <laughs> so now that we've been through all that, um, what have we omitted in our attempt to answer the three original questions? What does church discipline look like? I think we've described what it should look like, and we've implied a little bit uh, of what it actually does look like, for better or for worse. And then when should it be used? And the answer is all the time, right? All the time. It depends on what area you're looking at. Some of it's all positive, but we should be constantly uh, going to the gym, so to speak, spiritually and being exercised unto godliness, which is an old King James phrase. And then the third question, what are the consequences of using it too much or too little? Any thoughts on that? Because I don't know that we really got into that very much. Well, I don't know if you can use the positive side too much, but uh, you can definitely use the positive side too little <laughs> if right. you're not, uh, you know, studying the scriptures and and trying to obey the scriptures. Um, I think you could definitely uh, use the negative side too much or too little, uh, and, and again, I think that's a matter of, you know, if we're if we're excommunicating people because you know they said something you know, got angry and, you know, said something they shouldn't have said, well, we'd probably throw out everybody in the church yeah. uh, if we if we just threw out people because of that. Um, so I think we have to look at, look at what the issues are uh, and try to deal with it. But I think most churches now at this point probably use it too little, I would yeah. think. Um, yeah. A lot. That seems to be the going trend right now. At one point, it was probably being used way too much. Um, and now it's probably too little. So I would say if you, it's probably, if you don't like using church discipline at all, then you probably are using it too little. And if you're a legalistic type person who likes to use it all the time, maybe you need to err on the side of using a little less. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yep. Be quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to wrath. The Bible says that is relevant here. Mm -hmm. um, and lay hands on no man suddenly in principle applies here. I remember one of my mentors in ministry said, when you're not sure and you find out some problem, sometimes you need to sleep on it. Sometimes you need to let it sit. Uh, now we have to be careful about that. Some of us are procrastinators and we just don't want to deal with it. So that can't be our reason, but um, yeah, if we're, if we're not using the negative discipline much, then people continue in sin. I think that's the obvious answer. 
And when people continue in sin, then we don't have spiritual power. We have a form of godliness with no power. And if that doesn't describe the modern Christian church, I don't know what does. So for whatever yeah. reason, whether it's because people, it, because it's difficult to do, uh, because people keep secrets, you know, I don't know, whatever your reason is, if we're not dealing with sin, then sin continues. And obviously we can't be greatly used by God. The Bible says, if we regard iniquity in our heart, the Lord will not hear us. So it's like Achan sinning in Israel. We have sin in the camp or sin in the church, then we can't expect to be fruitful. And the church is not going to be full of the Holy Spirit. It's not going to be um, used with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's not going to bring in new converts, and we're not going to grow in grace. So, also let's let's not think that this is um, that discipline is just something that uh, you're supposed to be like. Well, pastor, you're supposed to deal with this. Yes. No, the majority of the discipline is actually supposed to be dealt with between believers. Yes, if there's an issue, then it needs to be dealt with between the two people involved or the three people involved or whatever the case may be, not bringing everything to the church for all your complaints or your problems yeah. that you have with people. Most of them could be resolved just between two people and nobody would ever find out about it. And that's yeah. the way it, the majority of things should happen within the church. And the way it actually does happen is there's a problem. <laughs> people gossip about it. The pastor doesn't mm -hmm. hear about it until it blows up and then they want the pastor to fix it. There, yep, that's right. <laughs> that's what normally happens. Oh, goodness. We need a lot of grace. Well, anything else you want to say about, ch about church discipline? No, I think we about covered it. I look forward to the day when Jesus comes back and we will not need this anymore because yeah. uh, we will all respond uh, spontaneously and instantly to the will of God and God's will will be done at all times, and we'll be happy about it. Uh, we'll be free, and in that freedom, we'll do right every time. What an amazing reality. Yes, it will be so much better. <laughs> <laughs> Even so, come Lord Jesus. All right, well, I guess that about does it. Thank you, Patrick, for spending some time with me today. Pray for God's blessings on you and your family and your ministries continually. To our listeners, no matter what platform you're listening to this podcast on, be sure to let others know about it and listen to other episodes as well. Like, share, subscribe, comment, review, etc. And uh, we'll probably be back on again sometime in August is my guess. In any case, God bless you all and listen again next time.